Okay, John and Thud, today we're up to sin number five in our Seven Deadly Sins series. And today is probably the one that most men can relate to more than any other sin we've talked about. We're going to talk about the sin of anger. And we're going to, let's just start off with, I think, probably a deep thought for a lot of our men. A lot of our, we're about ready to hit you, men, with an idea that you've probably never considered in your life. It's going to get a little deep, it's going to sound a little bit like therapy. But I promise this this is true, and it comes from the Bible. And here it is. For many people, especially men, anger is not just an emotion. It's actually the substitute emotion to mask deeper feelings that you struggle to, to express. So, so identifying the real emotion that's underneath the substitute emotion of anger and understanding what triggers it is the key to victory over anger. So, John, help us with this, because... I think I just like, we're, we're two minutes in, not even two minutes in. And I think men are like, wait, what did you just say? Anger isn't the real emotion. It's actually the emotion that's covering the real emotion. That describes me to a T. Uh, I would say that 90% of the times I have an outburst of anger. Anger isn't really the issue. The, the underlying emotion might be fear. For me, it's often that I'm dealing with feelings of inadequacy. There's something I'm not good at. There's something that I feel like I should have figured out. Or I'm just made painfully aware of how little control I actually have in my life. And so, for example, one, one of the areas in my life that sets me off like nothing else is car trouble. So I, this is an area where I'm not a man's man, guys. I, I know very little about working under the hood of an automobile. And because I know I don't know a lot about it, I definitely have feelings of inadequacy. You know, I feel like I should be, I should be better than that as far as being able to fix a car. I should know what I'm doing, but I don't. So there's that. And then I fear the cost. How much is this, you know, how much is this going to set me back in our budget? Then it throws my schedule off when you're trying to get cars to the shop. And so all these issues come out in me as anger. I remember when my wife and I were engaged, we weren't married yet. And we were driving back from Alabama to Utah and my car broke down in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And I remember having to call my father-in-law and letting him know that, that we had broken down and, and he's a guy that could fix anything with an engine. He knew it all. And I remember I was just so mad. When the car first broke down, I punched the, the rear fender of it. And I don't think Ron had ever seen me act that way. It was like, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten into? And she just gave me this look like, what are you thinking? You know, do, do you think that's somehow going to fix our problem? <laughs> do you think that's somehow going to make things better? And it wasn't the anger in me. It was, it was that fear, you know, that, that looking small in front of her, like here she has this dad who can fix anything. And this guy she's going to marry can't even get her home safely. And, and it came out as an outburst of anger. So for the men listening, maybe yours isn't working under the hood. Maybe yours is trying to budget your, your finances. Maybe yours happens when tax season rolls around and that's not your lane and you're just frustrated who knows what it might be, right? We all have those areas where we feel inadequate. But I would say spend the time, men, to take an honest look inside yourself of what's really going on versus just assuming you're angry. Yeah, David wrote in Psalm 139, 
And this is a great prayer for men to pray because John, I think for a lot of men, it's hard for them to be vulnerable. It's hard for them to admit. Well, first of all, I think a lot of men aren't even self-aware enough to to recognize that there's something underneath their fear or sorry, some something underneath their anger that's not really anger. And and so for a lot of men, this is going to be a real eye-opening episode. But but David prayed like this in Psalm 139: Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And so we're talking today about putting on your big boy pants, men, and being willing to be vulnerable and honest about what might be underneath that anger, what what might be under underneath that, what what is a more acceptable emotion, right, for men in our culture. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. But John, before we even get to that, I, I think it's important for us to note that we're not we're, there, we're not talking about a feminine thing. I think we need to. We probably need to point out the feminine versus the masculine here, because some men might want to turn this off, saying, "Oh, you just want me to get rid of anger because you don't want me to be a real man or something like that." Yeah, exactly. I I would agree with men who are saying, "Hey, there's an agenda to try to feminize men in our culture." So if if you sense that, men, or if if that's a pet peeve you have, I'm right there with you. And I, I would agree. I think there is an agenda to do that, but that's not what we're talking about here. Like if, if you want to see a man's man, David was a man's man, right? He was a warrior. I mean, this dude brought a hundred foreskins to Saul for, for his daughter's <laughs> hand in marriage. Like he was a bad man. He was a giant killer, but David recognized, Hey, I need to find out what's really going on in my heart. You know, God test me, know my anxious thoughts. If I'm having anxious thoughts, that means there's probably fear in my life. So we're not talking about trying to feminize men, but we're just saying it is a manly thing to know what's really going on. In fact, I would say it's not really masculine or feminine. It's just wisdom. It's emotional intelligence to know what's really going on inside of you historically, I would say it's changed over the last maybe 20 years, but historically culture has been, I would say somewhat lenient when it comes to anger, right? It's almost like, well, you know, that's just what guys do. Guys lose their temper, guys get mad, but these underlying emotions of fear and inadequacy and feeling like we don't have control, those aren't very manly emotions historically. And and so guys don't want to address those. They, they'd rather just say, hey, I'm, I'm just angry. I lose my temper. That's the way it is. But God is calling us to something better. And, and I would say, too, before we get too far into it, Brian and Thud, that we're not saying that anger in and of itself is a sin. Like not all anger is a sin. You know, there, there's a way to be angry and not sin. The reason we know that is, is God the Father has been angry. You see that in Scripture, and He's perfect. Jesus was angry at times. He never sinned. He was perfect. So there is a way we can be angry and not sin, but I think most of us, if we're being honest, uh, we typically do turn that anger into sin. Yeah, talk about the masculinity of of anger you know, I grew up in with a culture. My father—that's how he liked to shortcut uh, disciplining me. I guess shortcutting parenting was to get angry and get blow up. And so, early in uh, one of my my son's uh, 
life. We had a weekend we call man's weekend in which we would just go out by ourselves. And it was opportunities for me to have a one-on-one -on -one with them. And we're having a great weekend with uh, Matthew, my middle one. And uh, my frustration came out in anger because Matthew, and I know you're listening, um, has a tendency to lose things and forget things. And so he's about 12 years old and I blew up at him hoping to make a point because that's the way I had learned. And, um, but I'll never forget looking in his eyes when the, the way I reacted to him and what I did with my tongue at that point with him, with that anger. And I remember apologizing to him earlier that day or later that day. And, but it, it was so strong of a, of a point because, uh, for years it ate at me and I was able to later go back and apologize to him, uh, years later. And we talked about it and it became a very much a teachable moment for forgiveness. But oftentimes, at least the way I was growing up, growing up and taught was that that's how men respond to things in anger, very strong, passionate way. And while we were talking about that, um, something just popped in my head about Jesus, right? The mo one of the most, the man, most manly man that ever lived, right? He is, he is the lion. He's also the lamb. And you know, the, I think about the time he's at the last supper. He knows that he is sent from God. He knows he's going back to be with God. He knows he is God. He knows he can call down legions of angels in a heartbeat. And he also knows that he's about to be hung on the cross for our sins. That anxiety, that frustration he must have felt right there must have been incredible. But instead of acting out in anger, he was self-control, got down and watched the feet of his disciples serving, explaining to them why this is important. And so I think what we have twisted in our culture of going from a masculine response to what Satan says is a feminine response is just the opposite. It's a very much self-controlled response that we should have like Jesus had for us. And so, you know, I will be honest with you. I had never thought about anger as being a cover for or outward expression of other emotions. And, uh, Man, I just see that now, and I see how Jesus responded and the way I respond, and I'm just incredibly humbled now. Yeah, we've been talking throughout this series about these false pathways, and, and anger, well, really, substitute anger is a false pathway to control. It, I mean, think about it, man. When you get angry, it makes you feel powerful to get angry instead of feeling vulnerable but again, it's it's false. It's it's faking you out. And so many men, I think, if you're unaware of this, and the sad thing is, your dads, your kids are aware of it. Your kids can see it, and you can't see it in your anger. So it's it's almost your wife can see it, John. Like your story with Rhonda before you guys were even married, your wife is aware of it. So it's what's funny about it is you end up looking stupid. You end up looking dumb. But in your in your pride, I think this is mixed with pride. You're 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 still you're still better with anger than the vulnerability that that you should be willing to kind of go toe to toe with and grapple with. And this is a sin as old as human beings, right? Genesis four. I mean, this famous story of Cain and Abel, these two brothers. You know, the Lord accepts Abel's offering and he doesn't accept Cain's offering. So, John, we'll let you explain that. But as a brother, I understand that there's some sibling rivalry there. There's some jealousy there. 
And the Lord asks Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And, and God says this to, to Cain, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And so we see even just Cain, I mean, he's famous for anger, right? Probably the first incident of anger in scripture. And I think we can see ourselves in the story, John. Yeah, God warns Cain, hey man, if you don't, if you don't control this, if you don't get a handle on this, sin is crouching at your door. And he tells him to do it and be his master. So, so that initial anger that Cain felt wasn't a sin. Again, anger is not always sin. God said sin's crouching at the door. In other words, it, it hadn't come in yet. It, he's right on the edge. And Cain could have dealt with it in a right way, and it wouldn't have become sin. And I think for Cain, this is a lot of what we just talked about. His anger was masking jealousy. Now, jealousy is one of the seven deadly sins. We haven't gotten to it yet. I think it's either the next one or the last one, but definitely tune in for that, guys. We're going to talk about jealousy, envy. Uh, he was feeling like he didn't measure up. Maybe he even felt helplessness. We don't really know from the story why God didn't accept his offering. It doesn't explicitly tell us. So maybe even Cain felt like, I don't know what to do. But whatever it was, he didn't handle it. He didn't subdue it. And so instead of him mastering this emotion, the emotion mastered him. Like he ends up killing his brother. He couldn't get that anger under control. This is where I insert my lame pastor joke. You knew he couldn't get under control, right? Because he's not able. <laughs> Only on the men's podcast can we do the dad jokes and also in the same podcast talk about the 104 skins from uh, the story of Samson. <laughs> you won't hear this on the other Pursue God podcast, oh, listeners. It's only on this one. Yeah, you know, you know, I think about anger too, and I think about, you know, we have times where we see those extremes of of uh, Cain not being able, but uh, we also see, uh, I see it in my life, uh much more minor sometimes. And I think that's what I, I let pass a lot. I know one of the frustrations, uh, especially when I had kids, but, uh, it still happens today with being an empty nester is being late for church. You know, want to be getting ready for church, want to be there on time. And there is something always blocking the way the children, not being ready, uh, not getting breakfast in time, sleeping late. Um, you name the frustration of getting ready to go to church and it would just always eat at me. And, and here I am trying to get my family ready to go to church and get them in a place of worship. And here I am being short with them going, we got to go, we got to go. Cause I hate being late. And, um, <laughs> I remember there's a, there's a movie out there called God's not dead. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And one of the subplots is that these two pastors are always getting sidelined for a trip. And, uh, I'm sitting there watching the movie and the movie's great about defending your faith. But this is what hit me the most was these two pastors being sidelined for a trip. And it, I'm, my frustration is building up and one of the press pastors frustrations building up, but the other pastor kept saying, don't worry, God's got this. God is in control. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And in, in, the, and in that moment, 
through all these frustrations, not to ruin the movie, but at the end, they're in the right place at the right time to help lead someone to salvation. And God is in control. And that's where I've learned that being late, I'm still hate to be late. I'll try to be on time the best I can. Uh, but there are times when I shouldn't let that frustration impact how I deal with people the rest of the day. And that is when, because God is in control. He's going to use me for that moment. And in that moment, I need to have that passion and love that he showed to so many people. Well, and here's the irony, right? That we, we already said that substitute anger is a false pathway to control. You're trying to at least make it look like you're in control. You're a man's man. You've got this under control because you're angry. But the, the truth is that when you use anger like this, it, it causes a loss of control. And John, help us to understand this because it's not just a loss of control you know, emotionally, which I think your kids and your wife will be aware of or people at work or whatever, they can, they can tell that you've lost it emotionally, but it's not just that you actually end up losing control relationally and then even spiritually in your life. We saw all three of those with Cain. He, he lost control emotionally, relationally. He literally severed the relationship with his brother. He killed his brother and he was separated from God because of that sin. He was, you know, he was, he was put out to wander on his own. I mean, all of that loss of control because he didn't respond to anger in the right way. You know, James 1.20 says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And just before that, in 119, we're told to be slow to speak and slow to anger. There, there is something powerful about just slowing down when we're trying to be in control, right? I mean, I think we all recognize that as men, that the, the, the old kind of admonition, just kind of catch your breath and count to 10 before you speak, sounds so corny. But heavens, if I would have done that my whole life, it would have saved so much pain. Uh, I wouldn't have lost control emotionally and then even relationally and spiritually in a lot of those situations. I mean, I think back to that story I shared about, you know, punching the car on the way home from, from Alabama back to Utah. If I just would have stopped for 10 seconds and, and allow God to put things into perspective for me, I, I never would have done that. Uh, and when we lose our temper like that, it causes relationships to spiral. People don't feel safe around us. Even if they feel physically safe, they don't feel safe emotionally to share their concerns with us, their fears, their ideas. It breaks down communication within the relationship. I mean, just this last weekend, my I have a son who's 21 now, and he and I played in a in a doubles volleyball tournament on Saturday. And we we were really inconsistent. We played really well at times and we played poorly at times. And I lost my temper and I started griping and complaining. And I could just feel it like suck the wind out of him. He and I are <laughs> he and I are different. Like if he would have done that to me, my response is, well, I'll show you. Like I I I kind of bow up and get defensive when someone's angry with me. It, you know, when I played sports the coaches who, who rode me the hardest and yelled at me the most actually were the coaches who usually got the most out of me, but my son is completely opposite. And, and so I, I, I literally just sucked all the joy out of him. I mean, and, and I, I, I asked him to forgive me later that night. We had a conversation on it, but I'm just in that moment too. I'm thinking, when am I going to learn? 
<laughs> How many times am I going to keep doing this? When am I going to learn? And so, so man, just, just stopping and, and catching your breath and, and asking God to help put things into perspective, it really will prevent, or if it doesn't prevent it completely, will at least reduce the amounts of time that you lose control and, and Brian, I think you used the word ironic. It is ironic, right? The reason we're angry in so many cases is we feel like we don't have control. And then we we have these stupid responses that just put us even more out of control. Yeah, I need to say something to men here, or to dads in particular, because Thud, you admitted blowing it with your kids. John, you admitted blowing it with your kids. I've never blown it with my kids, but I understand. I'm just kidding. I've blown it with my kid. Like, I think every dad out there needs to hear. I'm glad that you guys brought that up. I've, there've been so many times in my life where with my kids, cause anger, this is, this is of the seven deadly sins. This is the one that I probably struggle with the most. I'm impatient and I can get angry easily with my kids. And you know, there's such a sense of shame when you when you blow it as a dad, and I, I really just want the dads to hear this. This could be an opportunity, one of the best opportunities for you to, to be vulnerable and honest with your kid. You know, John, what you said when you just came back and apologized, some, some of the dads listening have never apologized to your kids. One of the best things you can ever do for your kids is to apologize to them. So don't don't think that when if you've blown it in this area, maybe over and over and over again, don't think that the enemy is going to just use that to destroy your kid. Actually, God can turn that for good if you'd humble yourself and and tell them that you're sorry. Man, that that could break open your relationship with your kids, dads, for you to just say, "I'm so sorry." I've been, even, even for dads who've been listening to this, who have teenagers now who would say that would be so weird for my kids to hear this at this point, it's too late in the game. And I would say this dads, it's not too late in the game. It could completely revolutionize your relationship with your kids. If you'd apologize to them, even if you've never done, especially if you've never done that, if you've never apologized, humble yourself, tell your kids that you're sorry and, and invite them to pray for you and to, and to help you to get better in this area because, because dads, you're going to pass this on to your kids. And some of you, that's exactly what's been happening. You never heard your dad say sorry. And so you've never said sorry to your kids. And I bet you your dad never heard your granddad say sorry. Break the chain. You don't, that, that sin doesn't have to get passed down generation to generation to generation. You know, Ecclesiastes 7, 9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. And so, yes, you're a fool to be angry all the time, but be honest about it, confess it even to your kids and see what God will do with that, if you will. Yeah, Brian, I cannot agree more. You know, I've been blessed with a great relationship with my adult kids now. And not only do we talk, you know, Matt and I talk about the situation on his weekend, but there's another outburst of anger I had in the house years ago with my oldest son. And uh, let's just say it ended up with me being frustrated with him. He's a teenager. Uh, he's procrastinating. I like to be on time, get things done. And I may have put my fist through a door at that point that thankfully <laughs> was a closet door that then became went to my closet door. So I could remember that always. But we joke about it now. You know, I was able to apologize to them. Now, Josh will admit that he probably deserved it, but at the same time, it was not the reaction to have. 
And um, I think that for me and my boys, at least for me, I don't know how they feel, but at least for me being able to apologize to Matthew and to Josh later and see my wife see me do that, I think has been a lot because they're the ones that are going to see us get angry and upset the most is our family. Or when we're angry and frustrated at work, we come home and that frustration gets taken out on them because we have a professional attitude at work. We go home and we unload on them. And so that's where we need to humble ourselves and apologize. And so that loss of control oftentimes goes to our family more than anybody. And they're the ones that see our real side. And so we need to be apologetic and uh, ask for their forgiveness. Thud, for you, it, it probably is even more noticeable in your line of work because you're, you know, you're a colonel in the military. You've been a fighter pilot. You've been in situations, not just at home, but you've been in situations at work defending our country where I would imagine you've had to control your anger. And, and maybe it's even harder out there in the workplace. Yeah, for, for my workplace, it is a little different. You know, we, we pride ourselves on discipline as fighter pilots and control, and uh, especially what, what we're given. So we are given the ability with a weapon system that can literally wipe towns off the map. And so we train to that a lot. We focus on that. We, we know the firepower that we have. I'll tell you, when, we, when I think about how anger is just an outward expression of emotions, I remember an event in Afghanistan in 2014 in which um, I, w I witnessed a very tragic event. And I'd been in combat for a while. I'd seen things. Um, I'd been in situations in which required my self-control and it had been great until this point. What I remember was a beautiful day. It was a day which um, nothing was really going on. And my wingman was actually at the tanker about a hundred miles or so away. So I was by myself, uh, watching some over watching some guys on the ground and a tragic event happened in which the enemy attacked and, uh, there was some loss of life on the American side. And I just remember I could see the whole thing. I watched it. I was in a vantage point of seeing it go down and I could see the enemy still. And he would say, Hey, this is a point of, of righteous anger. And it may have been, but I let my emotions and my anger and my loss of not being able to control the situation completely overwhelm me. And I remember that before every time I dropped a bomb or I performed a strike in Afghanistan before then, I'd always said a real quick prayer of, Lord, just help me to be true, help my bombs to be accurate, and help us to glorify you. Now, that sounds weird you know, to talk about in, in, in combat, but this day I remember just being so enraged of what I watched. And when I rolled in, I rolled in without clearance. I remember telling my wingman over the radio who was about 100 miles away that I was, quote, quote, going kinetic. I remember asking for permission to strike as I'm going down what we call the chute. I'm rolling in, and I did not know at this time, but the controller on the ground who gives me clearance to fire was actually wounded himself. And I was screaming on the radio asking for permission, and I remember that it didn't matter. I was going to shoot and I was going to kill uh, this enemy that I could see. And I had rage and I will say I had murder in my heart. And uh, for the fighter pilots that might be listening, I even went to the point where I'm rolling the strafe and I went to the first detent. And that's 
you know, very technical terms, but the fighter pilot would know how close I was to pulling the trigger. And I'm rolling in, the trigger's half pulled, and I'm about to shoot no matter what. And I could see these guys. And um, I also knew the, the friendlies were really close. And I could have easily pulled the trigger and made this situation go away, or even one stray round from my, my gun, which is so large, could have completely made the situation worse for the friendlies. And so I remember going down, the time on final was like six to seven seconds normally. And I, I remember this felt like days that I'm going down that I'm gonna, I am going to make this happen. And I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger. I can't say what happened other than God miraculously took control. And I pulled up just before I hit the ground. I mean, I was out was one of those points where we call it target fixation. And um, I actually lost a friend in, in Iraq to that very situation. He got target folks fixated and just ran into the ground. And I don't know why I pulled up, uh, but I did. I was low. And let me say, I gave an impressive show of force. And I came across them so low and so fast that it did cause the enemy to break. And I was so thankful because I could have easily made the situation much worse. I could have killed friendlies. And thankfully, I don't know why I didn't. I didn't shoot. And so, but because of that, I get this show of force. So basically what means happening is my jet was so loud and so fast coming across them that everyone knew I was there. And the enemy broke away and left. And thankfully that day, my wingman was able to join with me calmed me down and then we were did we were protected uh the troops in the situ in the situ in this entire scenario and the scene and everything until the the medevac got in there and we were able to evacuate uh, those that were wounded and i tell you what it was so easy to lose control right there and i'm so thankful that i didn't but i can see how rage and anger can can completely hurt people a lot like abel did i mean kane did to abel all right. Coolest story ever on the podcast. I'm not sure that we're ever going to top that one. But John, I think it's interesting as our as our non-fighter pilot listeners are saying, man, what would it be like to have that kind of weapon at my disposal? And what a cool story of how, I mean, really, by the grace of God, you were able to exercise some self-control. So A, you didn't take someone else out. But B, you didn't take yourself out because of target fixation. What a, what a powerful metaphor, John, for men out there who don't have a jet at their disposal, but they have something else just as powerful, really, in a sense, just as destructive, right? Their tongue. The Bible says that our tongue has the power of life and death in it. And yeah, as Thud was just sharing that story, that idea of target fixation, Man, that was so convicting to me. What am I focusing on when I'm dealing with anger? I'm, clearly, I'm not focusing on the goodness of God. I'm not focusing on His sovereignty. I'm not focusing on His mercy to me. I'm focusing on whatever the situation at hand is that has me so riled up. And, and I, as as Thud said earlier, I mean, I do believe there is a a thing as righteous indignation. There is a righteous anger. You know, when 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 you and I as men look at at twelve year old girls who are being trafficked, when we look at at men who physically or emotionally abuse their wife and their kid, 
that should make our blood boil a little bit. I mean, that should make us angry at sin. But so often my anger is not about that kind of stuff. You know, my anger is about the guy who cut me off in traffic. Uh, you know, my anger is about, uh, you know, you know the, the poor service I'm getting at the restaurant because the waitress is, is overwhelmed. And um, we do have a very, very powerful enemy, or excuse me, very powerful weapon at our disposal. You know, Thud and I have both shared some stories about ways we wounded our kids. I remember one time we were doing a family devotional and it was on forgiveness. And the, the question was, what's the most harmful thing anyone has ever said to you? And I remember for about three seconds, I was holding my breath that my kids weren't going to say it was me. Mm. I was scared to death. They were going to say, well, actually it was you dad. And, um, so man, so men, our words are very, very powerful. You know, I coached for many years and I always knew how powerful my words were. You know, I, I, I would make commitments to the kids at the beginning of the season. I'll never call you lazy. I'll never call you stupid. Now I might say, don't be lazy. Like I may, I may judge the action, but I'll never attack your character. And yet I didn't always afford my own children that same commitment to my shame. So guys, let's spend a few minutes here. I mean, I think we've really teed this up and hopefully men listening to this are saying, okay, I get it. Like I get it. And you can relate to us because we all deal with this man. I mean, this is a sin that is a manly sin. For, we've already said that in our culture, it's a manly sin. Like it's, this is the one that, that we almost justify. This is the one that we get away. We feel like we can get away with, but we, we're not getting away with it. We're, we're, we're really creating, you know, just devastation in our wake. And, uh, and so some of you men listening are, are saying, I okay, so what do I do about it? I have this issue. I need to get better. What I, what do I do about it? Let's talk about the antidote. And really it's to be like Jesus. I think we just need to look at the example of Jesus who never, who never sinned. So that means that in his anger, he didn't sin. You know, he flipped over the tables in the in the temple, but that wasn't sinning. That was righteous anger. Now we, I don't think any of us are, have righteous anger like Jesus did, but, but Jesus never sinned in this. And so I think we can look to his example and recognize a couple of things. Number one, I think, and we've been talking about this a lot is, is really to be vulnerable, like learn to be vulnerable, to, to be okay with that. And then the outcome of that then is really to practice silence. I mean, this is what Jesus did is Jesus was like a lamb being led away to the slaughter and he was silent. I mean, what a picture, what a story. Thud, you already mentioned that, you know, washing the feet of his disciples to include Judas's feet. So just to think he washed Judas, Judas's feet and he, yet he did it. To me, that's like meekness. That's power under control. He had this incredible ability in his vulnerability not to get angry. And that's, that's really the picture that I want to live up to. Jesus was completely innocent, falsely accused. I, I mean, I, I'm sure there have to be some men listening today who feel like they're in some sort of situation that is unjust. And the, in fact, I was, I was talking with a guy at church on Sunday who's going through a 
pretty messy divorce and, and I, I don't have all the details to know, you know, if it's biblical and, and, and those kind of things. And that'd be a different conversation, but I can tell in his heart of hearts, he just feels like this is not fair. It's not just, and he is, he's lit. He is mad. And, and I knew we were doing this podcast. And so it had been on my mind. And I just said, Hey, I, I don't want to minimize what you're going through, but that is not the reaction, brother. Like Christ was completely innocent. I don't know. Again, I don't know the whole story in this situation, but I guarantee in his marriage, it wasn't a hundred zero. <laughs> even if it's 80, 20, even if his wife was in the wrong 80% of the time, and he's only 20, it wasn't a hundred zero. Jesus was perfectly innocent. And then he's hanging on the cross and the crowds are taunting him. They're taunting him. He saved others. He saved everybody else. If he comes down and saves himself, we'll believe him. Man, I hear that. And there's, there's like this part of me that I'm like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll show you. You know, I'll, I'll get down. I'll show you. And no, Jesus remained silent. Just as obedient to the Father's will. You know, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So again, it doesn't say don't sin by getting angry, because there is a way to be angry without sinning, but it says don't sin by letting anger control you. It gives the devil a foothold. And when you give the devil a foothold, if you don't address it, if you don't deal with it, that foothold eventually becomes a stronghold. And, and think about men in our lives. I bet we can all think of someone right now in our lives who's just a bitter old guy. They never dealt with that anger. That anger led to bitterness. That bitterness led to resentment. And now they just are that kind of eternal, uh, just curmudgeon. <laughs> is, that a, is that a word we still use? They're just, they're just ornery all the time. And I, I remember, you know, before I went into ministry, I think I was heading down that path. I had become a very skeptical, very cynical person. Um, I didn't like all of the deceit in the industry that I was in. I didn't like not being able to trust people. And I was not dealing with that anger in a very healthy way. And, you know, praise God, he brought me out of that. I can think of a time at uh, work in which I was very angry with my boss. And um, I think the anger started off justified. I think it was, um, I was seeing some, some injustice that was happening, some false falsehoods that were being told, and I let that uh, completely start to eat me up. I, was, I think I was also being gaslighted at this situation, and I'm thankful that like people have told me now that they didn't see any kind of issue with our relationship on the outside, and I'm thankful for that, but the problem wasn't with him. It was with me and my heart. My heart, I started giving the, Satan a foothold I started becoming angry. I started becoming bitter. I would go to work, have my professional face on, but then at home or my friends or my family or my walk with God, I became really bitter. And I'm thankful that I uh, sought out wise counsel to help me through this and some good counseling. So thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. And um, seeking out and learning from someone wiser in the situation and taking a, a, a biblical approach and through a season of fasting and prayer and just being in the word, God just opened up an opportunity for me and just melted that anger. 
even so one day my boss calls me and he's angry with me. And I remember he was angry because he was frustrated about not being promoted. And I remember God just melting my heart at that point. And he melted my heart through scripture and he gave me a recall of scripture that I've never had before. And it was a purely a supernatural event that happened in my own heart. And God just completely changed the way I looked at that man. And so today I'm in a place of love for him. I'm in a place for it. I pray for him every day, but it was only because I spent the time to seek that wise counsel, spent the time, realized that I was in anger and I was frustrated and just gave it to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. Take this from me. I know this is not right. And, um, through that scripture, through prayer, through wise counsel, God completely changed my heart and changed that anger into something great, which is love. And if you look at the love chapter, first Corinthians chapter 13, I see anger as being completely opposite of every one of those where it says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful or proud. Anger is just the opposite of all that. And so for me, the antidote has been, Hey, seek wise counsel try to look and see what love is and try to love those and have the eyes of God when you look upon them, because I can't imagine what he saw looking upon me from the cross. You know, some of you men probably just say, I, I ha would have such a hard time biting my tongue. I would have such a hard time being silent like Jesus, following the, the vulnerable example of Jesus. That really is the best word for it. He was vulnerable. That doesn't, that doesn't mean he was weak. Jesus wasn't weak. He was the strong, he was a lion. Jesus, but he was vulnerable and he was silent. He knew, he knew who he was. And because of that, he could be silent. He didn't have to have the last word. He didn't have to lash out. He didn't have to try to um, enforce um, his will, his, on the situation. He practiced silence. Some of you men have never done that in relationship with your kids or your spouse or, or someone at work, your boss, whatever. You just are always lashing out. And here, I, I want to just leave you with this thought. Maybe it's because you've never practiced silence with God. Maybe it's because, you know, Jesus himself, he spent so much time. Sometimes we miss this. He spent so much time just away alone on his own. And he was with the father and he was connected with the father. He spoke about his connection with the father all the time. I'm, I'm one with the Father. I want you to be one with me. But, but man, if you're out there listening to this and you don't have this spiritual discipline in your life where you get away, um, you, maybe your wife does, but you don't. You don't ever get away. You don't ever, you don't have a prayer life. You don't have, you don't, you're never in the word. So therefore you're never actually just quietly list, letting, like sitting at the feet of Jesus and letting him teach you and and learning how to be silent before him and learning how to receive instruction for, from him, because maybe because it doesn't seem manly to do that, man, you, you need to be connected to, you need to be connected to the vine. You know, Jesus says, um, I am the, wait, he is the vine. We are the branches. Which, which way does it go, John, the vine and the branches. But the whole idea is that this connection, this, this, integral connection with the father with jesus and out of that really come the fruits right the fruit of you met you know the fruit of the spirit this this love this vulnerability this patience all this stuff that is the opposite of anger 
it's the fruit of a deeper connection with, with God. And so, man, if you don't have that deeper connection with God, you can't just try harder. It's not going to work to try harder. You need to be more connected to Jesus if you want the heart of Jesus to come through in your life. Yeah, the the promise in that verse too, Brian, that I love, John 15, 5, that you were just referencing, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Not he might bear fruit or he has the opportunity to bear fruit. He will. So if you've been struggling with anger, men, and and you've tried everything on your own power, you know, maybe you've even tried to bite your tongue and you just can't. Um, just, just connect with Jesus. Spend time with him. Think about him. Ask him to empower you. And I think you'll start to see victory over anger in your life. 